welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Hi, my name is BJ. I am the lead pastor here at The Well, and uh, this is an exciting day. If you're tuning in, you are a part of something epic in our church's history for the first time ever. We are a church in four locations, four congregations. We have people meeting in person in Bonn, in Bolton, in King City, and those of you online are a fourth congregation. So this is kind of a cool thing. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was talking to somebody who was new to one of our sites, and I was just asking them how they found out about it. And they said, oh, I ran into someone who also had heard about it, and they said, hey, I hear there's this great non-judgmental church in town. <laughs> to which I was like, yes, and, you know, because it's like, great, we're non-judgmental. I will take that as a reputation as a church, in part because it seems you have to specify. Uh, just saying church, probably people would assume oh, that's a group of judgmental people. I think, like, if we're honest, that is a perception that many people have of the church. It's why many people don't go to church. It's why many people uh, wouldn't want to talk to uh, someone who's a professional church person, a clergy or a priest or a pastor. It's what people think about God. It's what they think, well, if my life was a mess or whatever, would I really go there? I'm probably going to get judged. And I think that's a predominant perception for many people, that church and judgmental go hand in hand. Or someone once said that it's Christians who put the mental in judgmental. Um, but maybe more than just perception, for some of you, this has been your experience. It's actually why you left church. It's why you left the church that you are a part of growing up. Or it's why you left when recently you were hurt. You were, um, you were treated, in a sense, in a way that you felt judged, that it was judgy, it was judgmental. It's where you not only left church, maybe for some of you, it's where you got off the faith train altogether because you just kind of concluded, well, maybe God is like that too. Um, and so this is a real conversation and a real thing, not just perception, but reality for many of us. Uh, sadly, even, you know, in the current climate and in our pandemic, you've heard, maybe you've heard people say, oh, this is God's judgment on people. A plague is God's judgment. And that has reinforced this perception of like, yeah, that's how this works. It's a judgmental, judgy kind of thing. That's what Christianity is. Or maybe the comments that you've heard from pastors or Christians online as it relates to issues of race or politics have been very judgmental or judgy in that tone or in the language used. It's what's prompted one pastor to say, you know, the church is supposed to be a body, but it has lost its arms and legs and is really only a mouth that speaks loudly and angrily about what it's against. We're supposed to be a body, but we've lost our arms and legs and we're simply a mouth that speaks loudly and angrily of what we're against. Now, maybe that's not many or your person's, your experience, but it is for a lot of people which might make us wonder when we're in a series on hope, hope in the dark, as we're calling the series, why would we talk about judgment? Do hope and judgment really fit together? Like those seem to be not to make sense together, to me, not the right partners. And yet, as we're in this series on hope, we have to talk about judgment for two reasons. First of all, this book that we're studying, the book of Revelation, Actually, one of the main themes, as we'll see, is judgment. And so if we're going to be true to the text and scripture, we kind of actually, it's a main thing. We've got to address it. And Dave and I are approaching this series, not nearly really sequentially, but thematically. And one of the themes is judgment. But secondly, maybe more importantly, and I want you to hear me on this. If we really understand what the scriptures say, what God says about judgment, how he thinks about it, and what it actually is, hear me, it will, if we really understand that, and not what, 
um, maybe a parent told us growing up or a pastor on YouTube or whatever said, but if we really understand what God says in the scriptures about judgment, it will actually make us all less judgmental. And I don't know about you, but I want to be less judgmental. I know I have that in me. I don't want to be like that. I want to be less judgmental. I want us to be a community of faith that is less judgmental. And even if you're saying, hey, I'm not a person of faith, you definitely would want everybody who is to be less judgmental and maybe even to find for yourself, yeah, this actually makes me less, less judgmental too. And so that is our hope that in realizing, looking at this today, um, that this actually gives us hope um, and it will make us less judgmental people. Interestingly, as we get into this book of Revelation, which, as I said, was a, was a vision given to uh, one of Jesus' followers about 2,000 years ago, written to a community of people who were suffering immensely, but a letter not just for them, but for every person who wants to follow Christ, as a letter that meant to give them hope in the dark, um, that one of the primary questions that is raised by the people who are suffering in this is God how long until you avenge our blood? How long? It's one of the questions early on raised in the book. And Dave talked last week about that from the vantage point of suffering, that what does it mean for those who are suffering when they cry out to God, how long? Um, this week, though, we want to look at that question because it is actually a question about judgment and vengeance. It literally says, God, when are you going to avenge us? How long? How long is it going to be? <clears throat> It is a question of judgment. And one of the things that we will find as we get into this uh, answer, that the, the answer that God gives is a little while longer, which is a really good answer. It means it's not yet, but it means it is for sure. It is coming. And so the passage we're going to read today that you're going to hear read for us from Mark Bailey, who is at our Bolton site, is actually near the end of the book. And it jumps to the end of what, what Scripture is called the end of the world, or how will all of this come to a resolution, right? That's part of what Revelation is trying to address to give us hope. How is God going to bring a beautiful and good resolution to all of this pain and suffering and chaos that is in the world? And this passage actually jumps to the end to say, at the end, there will be a time of judgment. And as I said to you, as we hear it, it is going to not only bring us hope, but ultimately hopefully make us less judgmental people. So I want you to listen now as Mark reads for us. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death, Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Well, we are going to camp out here for the rest of today's message because in this very short passage, there is a really robust explanation of what the judgment is going to be like and why ultimately it is good news, a source of hope, and like I said, if we really understand it, will make us less judgmental people. 
I mean, the very first thing that we see is that before the um, new beginning, right? We, we kind of said at the end, but Dave mentioned a couple weeks ago, it isn't really actually most accurate to talk about the end of the world, but rather the new beginning that God is going to bring, a new heaven and a new earth, a whole new creation. The scriptures say though, but before that happens, there is this scene of judgment. And, and it is a great white throne of judgment. And, and as we understand, okay, what does the word judge mean here in this context? Really the understanding of the Greek word and what it meant was to assess or to sift through, or to decide, or to resolve. And I think as you think about all of those words and what they mean, to assess, to sift through, um, to see through, to sort out all the facts, to decide, and to resolve, it is so important to say, yeah, this is what is going to happen. We actually need a kind of judgment that brings resolution to what today is unresolved. There are so many things in this broken world that are unresolved. That brings justice to things that presently are unjust or undone. That brings punishment to those who have managed to evade it or escape it, um, even though they deserve it. And so there's this idea of saying, no, we're going to stop and do that. And this is really important because what it's saying is God is not looking at the canvas of history and saying, oh, what a mess. Let's just roll this up and move on to the new creation. If God is good, he cannot just move on. If God is good, he's not just going to move on. And in fact, even some of the, the protests around racism that we've seen, part of the reason for those is say, We're, we cannot move on from this. We cannot just say, oh, it was another incident. Oh, it was another something recorded on video. Oh, it was another unjust ruling. We are not moving on. Something needs to change. That is actually the cry of those who are longing for justice. We can't just move on. Things are unresolved, undecided, unjust. They need to be resolved. And so I think the very first thing we can say is, okay, this is good. God promises to bring a resolution to all of this. Because I don't know about you, but there are things, not even just I see in the world, that have personally affected me or that I've seen that affected my loved ones, saying, we need a resolution to this. If God is good, he cannot just move on. You know, was, um, uh, in my sabbatical, I was actually contacting, uh, was in touch with a group that we have been working with who advocates for victims of human trafficking. And they were telling me that they had a meeting set up with um, a city councilor who was the vice chair of licensing, who was going to decide whether they were going to allow more massage parlors and body rub parlors in a particular uh, municipality. And we know that a lot of the people who work there are actually uh, trafficked and that these are not good for people families and the people within it. And so they were getting a chance to campaign to say, no, don't allow more licenses for this. And I said to them after, how did it go? And you know what they wrote back? They said, well, in the first five minutes of the meeting, the city councilor admitted that he himself has bought sex before. So he doesn't really see a problem with it. That's unjust. The person being put in charge of this to make a decision has already bought sex before, has already used women before, has already decided that that's okay. How can this be just? I was reading this week uh, of an email of a, a girl who has been trafficked before that's part of, connected to our Ladies' Night Ministry, and who her pimp is threatening her with violence and is, is, um, is an oppressive force in her life, and she's on the run from him. Well, this guy had already been charged and convicted of trafficking, came out of prison, and he's still doing it. It's just this sign that says, no, things are not resolved. Things are not finished, and even the justice system that we try to have is not working enough. And these are not just ideas, friends. I know these are things that have affected you personally and your loved ones. And so we want to say, yes, God is going to bring, there does need to be 
a great white throne of judgment in the end. <clears throat> the second feature we find here is that it says that um, the sea, this is a kind of strange language, but here's what you need to understand. It says the sea gave up its dead, uh, death and Hades gave up its dead. Well, what does that mean? The sea was this kind of place where as people were fishermen or whatever, went out to sea or traveled by, but if they were lost, if they died, they were considered lost at sea. The sea was considered this sort of bottomless pit where nobody ever was found from. And so they didn't have GPS systems back then or whatever. And so the, the idea that the sea would give up its dead, that, those, that death would give up its dead, and that Hades, which was considered this sort of interperiod um, between death and permanent death, would also give up this dead, is just saying this, everyone Will be, will be there at the, right, at the white throne of judgment. Nobody will escape judgment. Everyone will be there. Everyone will be called to account. Everyone will be accounted for. And this is good news too, because there are all kinds of people because of their skin color, because of their wealth, because of their importance, because of their family, because of who they're connected to, or because of how they were able to work the system, were able to get out of justice. We're able to evade the justice system. We're able to avoid punishment even though they had done wrong. We're able to continue on doing what they were doing because nobody was accounted for them. They were lost. They were outside. The scriptures say, no, no, at the great white throne of judgment, everyone will be there. You do not have to worry that God will somehow miss something. That's why this sweeping kind of the sea gave up its dead, death gave up its dead, Hades. It's just saying everyone's going to be there. Don't worry. Nobody gets out of this appointment. And again, if you have been a victim of injustice, if you are angered by the way the system seemed to favor those who have power, who have money, who have opportunity or whatever it is, saying, no, that's, this is good. This, of course this is good. Everyone has to be given account. <clears throat> the third feature that we see, which starts to get a little more uncomfortable, if we're honest, it says everyone was judged according to what they believed. No. According to what they had done. According to what they had done. And there's this idea of, um, the, of the books, you know, it says the books were opened. And again, this is, a, this is a vision. You don't think about like literal book, but what it's saying is every act that a person commits is seen and known by God. These are cosmic books. These are the books belonging to God. Everything that is done on the face of the earth is seen. And again, there are so many things that are hidden. There are so many things that are obscured by a legal loophole that aren't allowed to be submitted as evidence even though they were done. There are so many things that have been done that weren't caught on camera by someone um, videoing nearby. There are so many things that people are able to hide. The scriptures say, no, no, <clears throat> everyone will be there and everyone will be judged according to what they have done. This is interesting too, because I think uh, as Christians, we can obsess about the idea of belief, that we should be judged based on what we believe, what we say we believe, but not so much on what we've done. And yet, hear this, every single New Testament passage that references judgment, and there are 20 of them, they all are a judgment based on what we have done. <clears throat> and the dominant theme in scripture <clears throat> in terms of the deeds that matter to God, that the deeds that God says, these are the things I'm going to look at and judge you by, they almost always relate to how we respond to victims of injustice, the poor, the oppressed, the widow, the orphan, all of those people who have been oppressed, who have suffered because the world is cruel, because of the systems of the world. Those are the deeds 
that scriptures say that Jesus directly says, those are the ones I'm looking for in your life. And as Christians, we need to say, you know what? We've actually obsessed so much about judgment and belief. We've actually ignored the fact that scripture is really plain. What you do matters. And so it, it is a bit disturbing to us, but also an encouragement to say, yes, the deeds, everything will be evaluated. Everyone will be judged equally. What may be missed or lost by other people is, is not. God sees and understands. And that's the basis of how he is going to look at us. Now, if that is unsettling for us, we come to the point that is hopefully the most comforting and the one that we need to know the most. And that is who is on the throne. Um, the, the, the reference here in Revelation just says of him who, um, him who was seated on the throne. Him who? Him who, we might be asking. Uh, it, it says actually heaven and earth fled from his presence. Um, that's just kind of like, you know, when you're watching a movie or something and they do this special effect or video or whatever where something or someone gets zeroed in on and everything else kind of flies away and disappears and all you see is that person. That's what's happening in John's vision. In a sense, the throne is there. And he said, in front of him who was seated on the throne, everything else disappeared. In other words, it was all about him. And who is the him that's seated on the throne? Well, we don't have to wonder. Revelation's been telling us for the last 19 chapters. The scriptures have been telling us for the previous 65 books. It is Jesus. And who sits on the throne <clears throat> and the great white throne of judgment is the most important part about judgment. Because we need to know who is able, who is worthy, who has the right to say, we might even say, right? Oh, you don't have the right to say that about me. You don't, right? We, we wonder how, what gives other people the right? We question the systems of power and justice and say, are they're misusing their power. They don't have the character. They don't have the intellect. They don't understand. They, they don't have the right to do that. They're making bad decisions. And we say that about each other. You don't have the right to, well, that's the question. Yeah. Who does have the right? Who is able and worthy to judge? Only one. It is Jesus. Who is God. And John actually began telling us at the very beginning of the book why Jesus was fit to sit on the universe's throne. Remember that weird, maybe you don't remember because you didn't read it, but you weren't here for that message. But John has this really crazy vision of Jesus. And he sees him with all these interesting features, but the features tell us they're actually really important to what it means to be a good judge. It said Jesus had white hair, that he had eyes like fire, and that he had feet like bronze. Those were just three of the things. You know what that implies when it comes to justice? That Jesus, our judge, is wise, that he has eyes that see through things, that see through lies, that see through people who try to hide things, that see through people who try to obfuscate justice, that Jesus sees. He's not only wise, he sees everything, and he has bronze feet. In other words, he's not easily moved. You can't buy him off with a bribe. You can't change him by the wind of public opinion. You can't change his judgments because an election's coming up and he wants to. No, he has feet of bronze. He is not going to be moved. And we want to judge like that. We say, yeah, he has to be wise. He also has to be all seeing so nobody can get anything past him. And he has to be immovable, unimpeachable, that nobody can get to him. He can't be bought off or paid off or manipulated or blackmailed. No, he has to be all those things. That's what he say. Yeah, for sure. If the judge is going to be on the throne, he's got to be like that. And Jesus is like that, John tells us. But he's also a slain lamb, which means he is a humble self-sacrificing servant. That is also not just the attributes of this judge, that he's wise, that he's all-knowing and seeing that he's immovable, but what, what is his heart like? We know his heart 
is one of a self-sacrificing servant, a humble servant. That's who the lamb on the throne is. That's why it's so important that we know who Jesus is. He is the only one fit to judge. Yes, he has the capability, but he has the heart of a judge that we would want to come before. Unless you think that this is a picture of Jesus that somehow rescues us from the old vengeful uh, uh, God of the Old Testament and somehow we need Jesus, Jesus and God are the same. It's a three in one. It's the same thing. Do you know when God introduced himself to his people, you know, so many thousand years before this letter was written, you know how he described himself? He said, behold the God, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. And then he says this, I am like this, forgiving, faithful, loving, compassionate to a thousand generations. It says later that he, that he punishes and visits sin on the, on the first and second, third and fourth generations. And we think, what? You can, have, like, you can pay for the sins of your family. Part of that just means, yeah, sin runs in the family. <laughs> the way we sin is kind of how we were taught to sin. But, but th- we miss the point. The numbers matter. God introduces himself as grossly imbalanced towards compassion. He says, yes, uh, three and four times, you know, generations will experience sin and trouble, but I am faithful to a thousand generations, a thousand to three. That's how imbalanced I am towards love, compassion, mercy, and grace. Friends, this is the most important part of judgment is who's on the throne. It's not me, which is really good because I can't even sort through an argument about the PS4 in my home, you know, between my two kids. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes I throw up my hands and go, I can't make sense of this, right? It's not me. I'm not on the great white throne of judgment. And you know what? Neither are you. When we get to this time in judgment, God's not going to be sitting there and all of a sudden he sees you and says, hey, you, you should come up. You should do this. You know, you made a lot better decisions than I did. I'm kind of tired and quite frankly, I don't know how to make these decisions. Can you judge? No, thank goodness right? Your family members all like, him? No way. Her? No way. No, it's not any of us. It is only Jesus. He's the only one that has the right to sit on the universe's throne. And God is the one grossly imbalanced towards compassion, love, and mercy. And you might say, how could that be though? How could it be? If, if everything we've done is written down, I don't know about you, but I don't know my life is like, there's a lot of things that I, if we're judged based on, you know, what we've done, I can say, oh God, you know what? I'm going to stand before God and say, you know what, God, I'm, I'm a good person. And people around me think I'm a pretty good person. You know, I'm kind. I'm, I'm not greedy. And Jesus is going to say, oh, what's your name again? Okay, not greedy, kind. Okay, good. Yeah, go on. He's going to say, oh, no, let's, let's look at your bank account, BJ. Let's look at all the money you made in your life. And let's look at how much you spent on yourself or the people you loved and how much you gave to the people who were hurting, how much you gave away. That's what it's going to be like. And I don't know about you, but I'd be sitting there going, uh, do we, are there any more pages in the book? How many pages are dedicated to me, Lord, right? There's not enough deeds in my life to say, oh yeah, I- I'm just fine. I'm good. I'm good. That's why it's good news that it is the slain lamb on the throne. You know why? Because the slain lamb who is the judge is the one who gave up his life for me. He died in my This is the incredible twist of the judgment seat, if you will, that when we arrive there, the one we find on the universe's throne is the one who actually left his throne to take our place. His death on the cross is the great scandal of judgment. That the judgment fell on him and you and I, through him, are set free, are declared good, are declared 
righteous. This is the most incredible part of the throne. Now, there is this thing about the lake of fire that's there and the thing you're probably like, wow, how does that work? And that's where often when we get to judgment, these are all the questions. Well, what's the lake of fire and is it real and who's going to get thrown in there? And I can't imagine God would do that to other people. And first of all, what I would say is this, and I've said this before when people say, are you saying that person in the jungle who doesn't know Jesus is going to go in the lake of fire? I always say, I don't know because I am not the judge. Anytime we try to answer those questions, let's be honest, we're putting ourselves on the great white throne of judgment. So just don't do it. But what the lake of fire does represent, and again, this is an image, it is not literal, but it is this perspective of the saying that actually that we see throughout Revelation. For those that reject God's love, that actually when it comes to their deeds are not repentant, they don't care that they have done wrong. In fact, they don't have any desire to stop doing wrong. I remember even watching an interview with a pimp who was involved in human trafficking. And one of the things he said struck me so much. He said, he talked about how much money they make by exploiting women. And he said, you know it's wrong, but the money's too good. So they can't stop. Don't stop. There's this perspective sometimes that even when people are faced with good, even when people are faced with forgiveness, even when people are faced with love, they will still say, I don't want it. And to those, God says, thy will be done. And it's this idea that they are actually separated from God in the presence of God for what they don't want anyway. And we kind of know if God is good, Justice sort of has to work that way. Now, who it is is not up to us, and that is the most freeing thing. And as Christians, quite frankly, we get far too obsessed with being in the seat of judgment. We pay no attention to the fact that God is actually wanting to know what are we doing with our lives? Because ultimately, our actions display what we believe. Now, before we land the plane here, I want to give you just a couple of minutes, either with the people you're watching with, Um, or if you're just on your own, to reflect on this as you have listened to this perspective of judgment. What have you heard that's maybe new? How do you feel about what you've heard? And maybe what questions come up for you even as you do this? I want you to take like three minutes and we're just going to give you a chance to do what's new, how do you feel about it, and what questions does this bring up for you?
As we close here, I just want to ask you something. If you buck the idea of judgment, if it still kind of feels uncomfortable for you or difficult or you don't want to acknowledge it or whatever, and that, that's okay. That's a legitimate way to feel. But I want to, I want to uh, suggest that maybe there's, there's one of three reasons for that or maybe a combination. One, perhaps um, you had an image of God shown to you that's false. Like what you saw from your parents or from your pastor or priest or church or whatever was a God who's harsh, vindictive, impetuous, explosive, um, doesn't wait for all the facts and just hands out judgment. And so you actually would say, if that's you, right, that's not a clear picture of who's on the throne. But if that's what you think it is, of course, you don't want to go anywhere near that throne. You don't want to even think there is such a great white throne of judgment. And so I'd say if that's you, you need to get to know the judge more. And to say more judge means less mental, like if you actually get to know him more. And so what I would say is read the Gospels. Read the four biographies of Jesus and see how he treats people. One of the things you'll find is that the people most comfortable in his presence were the ones who thought, oh, they, he wouldn't love me, he wouldn't accept me. He was so approachable, compassionate, children, everybody else who thought, you know, they weren't sure that religious leaders or church want them, they were comfortable in Jesus' presence. And so you just need to get to know the judge more. And quite frankly, all of us need to get to know him more because that's the most important part. It's him and what he has done for us. So I'd encourage you to just read the Gospels. For some of you, maybe the reason you're uncomfortable with judgment is you're not aware enough of your own sin. You actually think, well, why? Nobody needs to be judged. You know, I don't, I'm, I'm fine. And here's what's interesting when you do read the Gospels. You'll find that the people who were most opposed to Jesus being the judge were the ones who were sure they were fine. It was actually, which is a real caution to all the religious leaders, <laughs> They were the ones saying, who are you to tell us this? Who are you to, they didn't want to be judged by him because they were like, we're fine. We're good. We don't need you to tell us what's right and wrong. We know we have a good reputation. We know we have good lives. In fact, Jesus talked most about hell and judgment to the religious people who were really sure they weren't going there. And so for any of us that have that, you know, that inclination, we have to be careful and say, well, maybe, maybe I'm not really honest. It was the ones who knew they were sinners, who knew they were broken, that felt most comfortable in Jesus' presence and were most able and ready and willing to receive forgiveness and healing. And so some of us just need to get off the white throne. We need to get off the white throne. We, we are much more comfortable in being able to say, oh, I know who's going to heaven and hell, or I know who's this, and they, they did this, and they did that. And we're more uh, used to that. In, in the marriage course in, in week one, for any of you that are taking it, they said, you know, <clears throat> if in your marriage you are more focused on your spouse's faults and your needs, you're going to be in trouble. You need to actually become more focused on your faults and your spouse's needs. That will actually, and that, that is, that's a way we can be sitting on the white throne of judgment, even in our marriages. But as it relates to all people, we need to say, no, no, only, only Jesus belongs on the great white throne of judgment. <clears throat> and so one of the ways that I know it is, is a practice that I need to do more, that I try to do regularly, is I need to confess my sins more regularly. The more I regularly confess my sins, the more I take myself off the throne, it actually makes me more approachable. So when someone has to come and tell me that I've hurt them, I'm kind of aware that I'm a sinner, so I maybe don't I'm not as defensive as much. Or if I need to go and talk to someone else who's hurt me, I'm not coming at it from a place of, I'm right, you're wrong. I need to prove that I was right. I need to prove that you were wrong. It's like, no, I know I'm a sinner too, but can I talk to you about something? Right? When we get off the throne of judgment, when we confess our sins, we become more humble people. And lastly, 
if you have a problem with judgment, maybe you need to get closer to victims of injustice. Like you're not close enough. Because if you have a perspective that, oh, I'm okay, you're okay, everybody's good, you haven't got close enough to people who have really suffered evil, who have really hurt. And I know this is one of the things that has rescued this discussion for me from being, oh, philosophical and theological and whatever. It's like, no, as I've gotten closer to victims of injustice, if I've, I've tried to immerse myself more in stories, I have become far more aware and saying, God, when are you going to avenge? Right? If there isn't something in you that longs for God's vengeance, not your own vengeance, right? Because if, if, if God isn't on the throne, then we're either going to get despair, we're going to despair, or we're going to take matters into our own hands and become a vigilante. And the only cure for that is knowing there is someone on the throne, that justice and judgment is coming as we come alongside those who are victims of injustice and, we, and their cry becomes our cry and we say, God, how long? And so that's when we realize, no, there has to be judgment. And so for some of you, you actually just need to get closer to the other people's pain. And, and Operation Christmas Child, what we're doing this month, is one of the ways to do it. As we listen to the stories, you can go on the website and hear stories of the kinds of children, the places that they live, and the conditions that they live, and that these boxes are going to. As we get closer to others' pain, we start to long for justice. And maybe for some of you, whether uh, uh, the injustice of racism or other injustices, we've talked about human trafficking before. Some of you, it's like, where do I even begin? Well, a couple months ago, when we were talking about racism, we encouraged you to pick up a book. Start to read. Read stories of people who have faced injustice. Start to make their pain your pain, and that will increase your longing, but also your trust in the good and just God who is one day going to bring all of this to a resolution. These are hard things to do, let's just be honest right? To, to actually be, become more comfortable with judgment because of who the judge is. To actually get off the throne ourselves, con confess our sins, and to become more aware of others' pain. But the reason to do it, friends, is because ultimately all of that results in you and I becoming less judgmental people. We become the people we long to be, and we become a blessing to the world around us that even those who don't share our faith would look at us and say, I think I want a life like that.